Amen. Well, good morning again. Really great to see you. And uh, again, welcome to those of you joining us online. I'm pleased to be here and open up the Word together and worship together. And uh, a lot of you know, I grew up in the Dallas, Texas area, and there's a lot of differences between Dallas and Walla Walla. Uh, One of the biggest differences, though, is it might be in the churches. Like, it's kind of hard to describe the difference between the churches there and churches here. I mean, you know everything's bigger in Texas, right? You know that. That's true for churches. The church I came from before I came here to Trinity had about 5,000 people, and uh, that's not even close to the biggest church in town, not even close. So you probably heard about churches with like a, a big church choir, like 100 people or more. So like everybody in here would just be the choir, not even the congregation, right? Um, there's some other surprising things that show up at churches in Dallas when our kids were younger. When we lived there, we went to an Awana program at a church, and, and this church had a, had a slide in the kids' ministry from the second floor down to the first floor, so kids could just slide down instead of uh, uh, having to take the stairs. I don't know what their insurance uh, premium was on that, but, but that was our, favorite, uh, our kids' favorite part of Awana right there was the slide to get out the building. And uh, there's a church my sister attended. She was going there with her son. She decided she was going to look for a new church when that church announced that they were raising funds to build an animatronic uh, version of Noah's Ark. So like the Hall of Presidents at Disney, except with with Noah and animals and the whole thing, she decided that was a little much. Uh, So there's a lot of churches that try to outdo one another in the Dallas area. I haven't even mentioned yet the church where the pastor flew into the service in a helicopter or uh, the one where the church, uh, the pastor slept all night in a bed on the roof with like a webcam and the whole thing. Uh, a lot of ways churches try to outdo one another. When I was a kid, there was a big story all over the papers about a famous pastor in Dallas, and he'd been accused of a crime. But he had an airtight alibi, at least according to him. His defense was it couldn't have been him because he'd spent the evening with his mistress. That was his alibi. No lie. Uh, no lie. But there's one church has them all beat. One church, uh, no matter how wild and crazy other things might get, I hope nobody ever outdoes this church. This particular congregation was uh, a bit divided, and nobody really uh, understood exactly how the division started, but folks started choosing sides pretty quickly. The, the division became so serious that each faction uh, formed a lawsuit against the other half of the church in order to, uh, to claim the church property for themselves. I mean, several million dollars worth of, worth of church property at stake there. Well, this litigation, of course, made it into the newspapers, and everybody enjoyed the spectacle of one half of a church suing the other half of the church. But a judge finally decided this is not really a matter for the courts. It's a, it's a denominational concern. And so it should be settled by the church council. So the denomination entered into the details of this dispute, and eventually the denomination decided to award the church property to to one of the factions, and the other one went off to form a new church, which I'm sure was really healthy and and everything. But uh, this was a story. It was all over the local papers at the time. So folks were very, very curious to figure out what was the, the source of all this conflict. And they finally got to the bottom of it. And it seems that the trouble began when an elder at a church dinner received a smaller slice of ham than the child who was sitting next to him. You cannot make this stuff up. That was the source of the trouble. That's a true story. It all started with a piece of ham. That little slight was just enough to, to bubble to the surface all these issues and two lawsuits and a terrible public battle. It all started with ham. 
Well, we've been in a series called One Another's, looking at the different one another commands the Bible has, and these are commands for the church, help us understand how we should relate to one another. And, and we need these commands, we need these reminders, because our natural inclination is to be ham hoarders, right? I titled my sermon this morning, Don't Be a Ham Hoarder because we're all tempted to do exactly that. Our natural inclination is just to look out for ourselves, to present ourselves one way to the public or, or even to our church family, but inside, we're hypocrites. We're, we're selfish, we're jealous, we're ham hoarders. We need these one another's so we can relate to each other fully and, and truly. And these one another's, it's important to keep reminding ourselves of this, I think, but these are one another commands for how the church should interact with each other. That's why they're called one another's. The Bible has a lot to say with how we interact with the world, but has a lot to say about how we interact with one another inside the church. And as a faith family, how do we live together? How do we live out our faith together? We should not be ham hoarders, I'll tell you that, but instead we should go out of our way to love one another, to serve one another, to build one another up. We need these commands because they empower us by God's Spirit. They guide us to, to fight against our sinful nature and to live with one another in unity and in harmony and in healthy relationships. And our one another today, it comes from the book of Romans. We'll be in Romans 12 today, so if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. You can use your phone, Bible app. You can Google it, Romans 12 and I got to say, I got to say, I'm a little bit miffed at Logan. Uh, I'm on the grumpy side this morning because the passage he gave me is pretty tough. Like, uh, he conveniently is absent for this particular one another. I see what he's trying to, to pull there. But it's a tough passage to make sense of, in part because it's missing some verbs. Like in the original language, you know, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. And in the Greek text of this passage, there's, there's not enough verbs to go around. It's, it's hard to understand. And I mean, everybody knows you grow up, you learn pretty quickly that every sentence has a verb. If it doesn't have a verb, it's not a sentence, right? Well, nobody bothered to tell the Apostle Paul that because he writes a string of verses here in Romans 12, and he's missing some verbs throughout it. And in English, English translation, they supply verbs because translators are trying to help us make sense of what Paul is saying here, uh, but it's a little tricky. And another confusing element of this passage is it seems it's just a random list of commands that don't necessarily have anything to do with each other, just a, a laundry list which makes it that much harder. There doesn't seem to be any real organization to it. So it's a bit difficult to make sense of it first, but we're going to work together to, to do it, not only to understand it, but to be able to put it into practice, to live this out with one another. So let's read the passage. We're not going to talk about all the ideas today. We're going to read them, though. And uh, this is Romans 12, starting in verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. 
So this is a passage, and uh, you'll see there's actually a couple of one another's here, right? Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters there in verse 10. It says, live in harmony with one another in verse 16. But the one we're going to focus on today is at the end of verse 10. That's our one another. It says, take the lead in honoring one another. Another translation might say, outdo one another in showing honor. Or it might say, give preference to one another in honor. Uh, uh, some translations simplify it. They say, honor one another above yourselves. Or take delight in honoring one another. Lots of different translations. They're all trying to take this difficult phrase and, and state it as a command in English. But that's our, our one another. We should honor one another. And we're going to understand what this means and how it should show up for us as we journey through the text this morning. And, and again, it seems that this is just a, a bunch of random commands here without any real sense of organization, but I think there is some structure to it. And if you're the kind of person who likes to, to make notes in your Bible, there's a couple of notes that you can make. Right next to this paragraph in Romans 12, you can write the Great Commandment. A lot of scholars have noticed that the, the seemingly random list of commands, it actually follows the same basic pattern as the great commandment. Right? Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment in the Bible? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So this, this paragraph in Romans 12, it follows that same pattern as the great commandment. It starts with love, a pattern of loving God fully, letting our love for Him show up in our whole lives, and then letting that love spill over into our relationships with others. So that's, that's one note you can write if you want to. This paragraph seems to have some general connection to that great commandment. Other note you can write if you want in your Bible right next to this paragraph is to write 1 Corinthians 13. Now, you may recognize that. It's the famous love chapter read at Pam and Jim's wedding, so many other weddings, the chapter that says love is patient, love is kind, love doesn't envy, doesn't boast, right? Uh, lots of folks have noticed a connection between 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and this section of Romans, Romans 12. The connection that's worth discussing is that this, this love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, it comes right after Paul talks about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. So he talks about how our gifts should show up in the way we engage with one another, the way we relate to one another, and then he starts talking about love. Well, the same thing happens here in Romans 12. Paul talks about spiritual gifts at the beginning of this chapter, how the church should serve one another with those gifts, and then he talks about love here in verse 9. So there's a, there's a connection there. And I share all this context so that we can start to make sense of this list of commands. It seems that the heading, the, the subject line, if you will, is, is verse 9. Paul says, let your love be genuine. That's the, the overarching idea, and these other commands kind of flow out of that. Let your love be genuine. Again, there's no verb, so literally the passage says, the love without hypocrisy. And again, there's this connection to the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Love fully. Don't hold anything back. Love genuinely, without any hypocrisy. Jesus taught His disciples the same idea. He said, I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. And He says, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. We love each other in the way that Jesus loved us, genuine love, without hypocrisy. 
That's the, the start, the foundation point for how we can learn to honor one another. It starts with genuine love. And at the heart of this kind of love is truth. Uh, truth. Let me explain what I mean. For, for truth, when we say love is truth, what we don't mean is that it's like tough love, right? It's not just, I'm going to tell you the truth, and, and no matter how hard it hurts, I'm going to tell it to you. I mean, there, there's a place in the world for tough love, but that, that's not what we're talking about here. When we say that love is truth, what we mean is that it's, it's genuine. It's, it's in contrast to love that's manipulative, that has its own ulterior motives. I mean, we've already said love should be unhypocritical. It should be true, the Greek word that's used here in this passage is on hypocritos, literally without hypocrisy or without any pretense. And, and the word hypocrisy, you know, it's an English word that we just transferred over from Greek. It's, it's the same word. And in Greek, the word first referred to, to acting, to stage acting, when an actor is pretending to be someone that they're not, Right? In ancient Greek theater, the actors wore masks. They used masks when they acted. So this word hypocrite, it literally translates as an interpreter from underneath. So the idea is these Greek actors, they wore masks, and the actor spoke from underneath that mask. They're interpreting the words of the author. And over time, of course, the word hypocrite evolved to refer to any person who's wearing a figurative mask and pretending to be someone or something that they're not. Well, in the same kind of way, we, followers of Jesus, we're interpreting the truth about God, the truth of His love. Now, we don't stand up and do it on a stage, but like Paul was talking about, we, we, we do it in our own ways, through our own actions, through our own words, through our, our love. So that's why this passage starts with love, and that love shows up in all these different ways that Paul lists. That's why it's so important that love has to be genuine, has to be not hypocritical. It must be true. Jesus tells us to love one another as, as He has loved us. That's without any pretense, without any ulterior motives, without any manipulation, without any hypocrisy, just genuine love. I thought about calling this message, Take Off Your Mask. I decided that might be a little controversial, but that's the idea here, right? Our love, the love that we have for each other ought to be free from pretense, from manipulation, just plain, unvarnished love. No play acting, no masks. Take off your mask of hypocrisy, and all that's left is genuine love. So genuine love, when we're able to, to take off our mask and really love each other without hypocrisy, then we're bound together more and more as a, as a family. We don't let something like ham destroy the family connections that we have with each other, right? We're free to be a family, to, to, to be bound by that genuine love, the kind of love you're not going to get anywhere else but the church. And in mean, the whole world, they talk a lot about love, true love, but the reality is none of us are capable of this kind of love. You can only get it in the church because it has to come from God and from His Holy Spirit at work in us. Our natural inclination is not towards genuine love. We're all ham hoarders. It's only through God that we can get and give love that tells you the truth and love that's, that's open with you, that's free from pretense. That's impossible to get apart from God's presence in us. And that kind of love, that unhypocritical love, it binds us as a family. But one of the things about being a family is that means you've got obligations. 
We have family obligations. We're bound to each other. And so this genuine love that we have, it has to show up. And how it shows up points us to this next verse, verse 10. It puts us face to face with the one another in this passage. Genuine love shows up in the church, shows up in our lives this way, in the way we honor one another. So what does it mean to honor one another? It's, it's, it's simple, really. Honoring one another, honoring another person means you recognize the full value, the full worth of that person. When you see another person, when you encounter another person, you think about it and you assess some value to that person. What are they worth to me? So you can already see that this, this is one of the ways that genuine love has to show up, right? I mean, how do you assess the value of another person? You have to do it with genuine love, not hypocrisy. We don't assess value based on what the person uh, can do for us, how useful they might be, how they've hurt us in the past. We don't assess value based on if that person can benefit us in one way or another. We let genuine love be the guide. So honoring another person gets to the idea of figuring out what you really think about others. That's how it starts. What do you really think about that other person? And the honor shows up in the amount of attention or respect that you show that other person. That's ultimately what it means to honor one another. And the passage gives us a pretty clear sense of how we are to assign worth to others. I mean, if it was entirely up to us, we would assign worth in our own ways. Me at the top of the list, obviously. Everybody else below me, right? Like, that's how our sinful nature operates. I'm the best. Everyone else is second best. I deserve the biggest piece of ham. But that's not how God desires us to show honor to one another. That's not the way we assign worth. Throughout this book of Romans, throughout the first 11 chapters, Paul has repeatedly told us how we're going to assign worth to each other. He discusses over and over that Jesus himself, the, the, the God-man, has already demonstrated the worth that each of us has. He demonstrated it. He assigned worth to you and me by choosing to die on our behalf. He chose to die in our place for our sake elevating our worth over his own life. And over and over, Paul points to Jesus as the Savior, but also the example of how to live out the Christian life, how to honor one another above yourselves. So that's why this command is not simply honor one another, because that sets the bar too low, much lower than Jesus wants to set the bar. We don't just honor one another, but as we assign worth, as we assign value to each other, then we honor one another above ourselves, as one translation says. Another translation says, give preference to one another in honor. We outdo one another in showing honor. Elsewhere, Paul says in the letter to the Philippians, he says, consider others better than yourselves. Honoring one another means we value people in the same way that Jesus values us. He gave his life for us. That's infinite value. And this kind of honor, treating people that way, it seems like a burden. Like we're constantly putting ourselves in the, the lower place for the sake of others. That's hard to do. But it shouldn't be a burden or a heavy task. It should be a joy. I love one translation of this passage. It says, take delight in honoring one another. I think that gets to the heart behind it. We've got to find ourselves in a place where we can honor one another above ourselves, and we can do it with joy. 
Pastor John Piper, he says, we should be eager to value or promote the reputation of another ahead of ourselves. That's the idea behind this one another command. Honor one another and do it with love and joy. Treat other people with your deeds and your words as worthy of your service. We talked last week about serving one another. This is a good extension of that idea, treating people as worthy of your service. Now, there's some tensions here, a couple of challenges. That's part of what makes this passage difficult. Like I'm just saying, some of us, we don't deserve to be honored, you know? What do we do in those cases? What do we do with people that are really not worthy of honor? Like, do we have to honor everyone, or can we just honor these folks over here, not those folks over there? The Scripture addresses those things. What do you do when a person's not really worthy of honor, when a person's not living a life that's honorable? And let me give you one stark example from the Scriptures. Paul tells uh, Christian slaves, he says this, let all who are under a yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. So the, the honorable masters get honor, and all the other masters do too. They may be scoundrels, not worthy of any honor at all, but you can regard them as worthy of honor. You can count them as worthy even though they don't deserve it. Why? Because that's what God has done for you. You can count others worthy because God has counted you and me worthy. Jesus showed us honor even though we're scoundrels. We're we're all ham hoarders. So honoring one another is not dependent on a person being worthy of that honor or not. You just honor them. Now, it doesn't mean you don't see their faults, you don't be foolish, but you can act and speak and show honor to them no matter what. And you can do it without hypocrisy because that's what Jesus has done for us. Another example from 1 Corinthians 12, Paul gives this comparison between weak members of the church and certain parts of the human body. He says, those parts of the body we consider less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. So the point is that showing honor, it's not always a response to how honorable something is. We honor one another regardless of how honorable a person might be. Here's one more example from the Scriptures. We need to avoid the very strong but subtle temptation to only honor one kind of person, the person who's like us. We've got to be careful not to only honor one race or one socioeconomic class or one educational level or gender or age or, or personality or way of dressing or whatever. God gets really angry when He sees this kind of dishonoring in the church. Listen to this from the book of James, chapter 2. James talks about the kind of failure to honor that really displeases the Lord. He says, My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, And if you look with favor, if you show honor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor person, stand over there, or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom that He's promised to all those who love Him? Yet you have dishonored the poor. 
showing favoritism, partiality, creating a church that's open to some and not to others. It's not honoring one another. It's not honoring to God. Honoring one another has to be built on genuine love, and it must be built on the humility that comes from knowing that Jesus humbled himself for our sake. So as we apply this passage to our own selves, to our own faith family, it'd be easy to just say we should honor one another or we should love one another without hypocrisy. And of course that's true, but I'd like to leave us with something a little bit more uh, detailed than that. I'd like to leave us with something that's a little bit more practical. We can start to really live these commands out. And, and these takeaways are just a gateway into what it means to love without hypocrisy, what it means to honor one another above ourselves. They're just some, some tangible steps that ultimately get us to that place of love and honor. And the first tangible step is this. One thing we could focus on that'll get us to genuine love for one another, genuinely honoring another above ourselves, is this. We need to recognize that every single person who's a part of our church, every single one of us, is a child of God our Father. The same God that, that we call Father is the Father of all these other children. No matter how flawed you may be or I may be, we are all children of the same God. So that makes us brothers and sisters, not just here, not just on a Sunday morning, but forever. One of my old pastors was always fond of saying, you're never going to meet a person that Jesus wasn't willing to die for. Think about that. Everybody in this church is loved by God. So that's the first thing we've got to lock into our minds, reminding ourselves of that over and over. We can love others well. We can honor others because we recognize that we're all children of God. We're all brothers and sisters no matter what. And because that's true, there's another tangible step, another thing we can focus on that's going to get us closer to genuine love and honor. Because we're all brothers and sisters, we're all children of God our Father, then we can look at each other as works in progress. Especially if we have conflict or when we have a hard time wanting to honor someone, we've got to realize we are all works in progress. That's the antidote to wanting to, to write people off, to ignore people, to dishonor them. When we're tempted to do that, when we're tempted to avoid really loving another person, then we stop. And we just look for evidence of, of God's grace in that person's life. Look at what God is doing in that person. And we realize we're all works in progress. You know, here at Trinity, we got a lot of folks that have known each other a really long time. Think about that. And that's a huge blessing because we get to see growth in each other over time. We can see, man, you used to be here and now you're here. Uh, you, you used to be here and now you're way over here and then you went back here, now you're up here again. We can see evidence of grace in people's lives. That's an antidote to not wanting to honor one another. We've got to just take a step back and we realize, man, that other person they're a work in progress. They're being changed and grown by God. So we just cut them some slack. And we realize that we ourselves are works in progress. We're being changed and grown by God. So we've got to be patient with other people, honoring one another above ourselves. So that's two tangible steps. They're just ways that we can grow into these commands, this command to, to love without hypocrisy by showing honor to one another. We can honor God and we can honor one another when we take time to recognize that we're all children of God and we recognize that God is transforming each and every one of us. We're all works in progress. 
One more important thing we need to say before we come to a close today. It's one thing to say honor one another. I mean, we can do that. We can talk nicely to people. We can play nice when we're here on Sunday morning. We could say, gee, I wish you guys at home were with us this morning. You know, we can honor one another. But it's a different thing to say honor one another above yourself. Now the stakes are a bit higher. It starts to chafe a little bit. Like, I don't even agree with that person. I'm not even sure I like that person. I don't even know that person. How am I supposed to take a back seat to them? How am I supposed to honor them above myself? That's harder to do. And then you're telling me i got to do it in a way that's not hypocritical, like I honor them to their face, but also behind their back. I mean, there's really no way I can do that. And you're absolutely right. Apart from God's work in our lives, there is no way we can fulfill these commands. And that's why there's a couple of key words in this passage that help us, that give us what we need to actually live this one another out. first key word comes right at the beginning of the chapter, Romans 12. The chapter starts off by saying this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God. That's the first key word, mercy. God has given us mercy. And Paul goes on to tell us what that mercy can do for us. He says we can be transformed by God's power and mercy. Transformed people who have the Holy Spirit within us can live without hypocrisy. We can honor one another above ourselves because God has transformed us. The mercy of God is critical. There's one more key word at the beginning of this chapter. Paul says in verse 3, he says, By the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. That's the second key word right there, grace. Grace has been given to you and to me. Mercies are given to us because we're all ham hoarders. We're all self-centered people, and yet by the transforming power of grace and mercy that God can give us the ability to love one another and honor one another above ourselves. It's only through the grace and mercy that shows itself as the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus. Because Jesus has honored us, because Jesus was willing to sacrifice himself for our sake, because the Holy Spirit is in us continuing to transform our hearts, then we're able to reflect Christ and become more like Him in our thinking and in our actions. That's the only way that we can honor one another above ourselves, the power of the gospel. So loving without hypocrisy, that's an expression of the gospel, just taking off our masks. And honoring one another above ourselves, that's how we live out that gospel-empowered love. We pray with me? God, we have to confess that these are challenging words to us, that uh, trying to, to live this way on our own is an impossibility, and yet we praise you because you have given us a way to be transformed. You have sent your son Jesus to be with us, to, to show us the way, and even more than that, to provide the way for us. He died for our sake, giving us freedom from the sin that uh, keeps us bound and giving us the ability to, to take off our masks, the ability to live without hypocrisy and to love one another. And we want to be able to do that and especially doing it in a way that shows honor to one another above ourselves. That's the pattern that you've established for us, God, through your son Jesus. 
And so we pray that we would be a church that is living in this transformed way, that we would be a church that, just like you, your, your son Jesus said, that, that we would love one another so well that people would know who we are based on that love, based on the way we honor one another, that, that our, our a desire to live out the gospel would ring forth from this place throughout our community so that uh, the love and the honor that's so desperately needed in our world would, would start right here with us and bleed out from it. And we pray that you would uh, continue to be at work transforming us uh, in our hearts so that we can live in a way that reflects the truth of who you are. And it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.